And as Heather just suggested, uh, let's open it up for questions that pertains to either of our presentations and see where our directions go. And if our can conversations lag at all, uh, we can return to the issues that we were talking about uh, this morning and in the 1 to 1.30 time slot this afternoon. Uh, questions? Yeah. Yeah, we had that last question just before Bud and I started presenting. You you stood up and you were asking about, you wanted to hear from the... Um, the three mornings, women. The three women. Who presented. Yeah. Um, I would be the first to tell you I don't think I make superwoman. I don't think that, that qualifies. Um, I think it's hard. I think they're hard questions. I think you ask hard questions. I think there are biological constraints. Um, I'm married, and I have not walked down the road of having children. Um, we have, you know, we go back and forth and try to decide how that fits or if that fits. We're both PhDs in organic chemistry. We try to know where that works. Um, I don't think there are simple answers. I don't have any simple answers. Um, what I would like to suggest is that you know, you talk about it being monetarily difficult to support people taking time, and I think that that's true. I think it is monetarily difficult to give people time off. It's monetarily difficult to extend tenure clocks. And I think if we as Christians and we as people um, at institutions that really mean to be family-friendly and mean to support all people in all ways, then those are the kinds of um, things we have to actually put our money behind. Um, and we have to support those things. And sometimes that means making hard decisions. Sometimes that means um, saying, I'm going to take a 0.2% less pay hike this year so that we can come up with money to pay for these types of benefits for these people that makes it possible to really allow both men and women um, in, in these dual career couples and, and all these other things we've been talking about to really allow them to advance, to allow them to get to a point where balance is important and to perhaps even begin to change the culture in which we work so that that kind of family career balance for both men and women is a more dominant feature in the landscape and maybe less of, of the traditional you know, gauntlets that we've seen previously. I would also say that probably the reasons that women make the choices you were talking about are, are not simple either. And some women may make that choice because they don't have the support of their spouse or they're in a situation where their spouse is also a professional. Whereas, you know, um, I had a slide that I took out of my talk because I had what women want and then the second slide was what women need is a wife. They need a woman. You know, if a, if a woman had a husband who was fully supportive of what she was doing, they'd be much less likely to, to make that kind of choice. But on the other hand, I have to acknowledge there's probably women who really are more fulfilled by being a parent. And maybe, um, I think you even said in your talk, it's not that we're saying that there should be 50%, 50%, but just that the women who really want to do this should be given the opportunity. <laughs> I am not superwoman. Um, I've never figured out how to do it all. Uh, but but I think a lot of a lot of um, 
progress has been made. I mean, I, I, when I look at what women went through just a couple of decades or even one decade before I came through the system in my field, um, the changes were enormous, and, and, and little things made a big difference so that I didn't face many of the sort of overt barriers that people just a decade or two before did face. But I don't think we're quite there yet. And, and so the question you're asking is right on target, but I don't think there's a simple answer because I think this is a, a question of if we believe that improving our fields and improving, you know, diversity is important for making our fields and our professions the best they can be, it may mean making some changes in that culture and the expectations both for women and men. It may mean making some sacrifices in terms of slightly more expense to pay for this kind of time off or this, this or that or the other, the outcome being a better product in the end, both for that profession and for the larger society. And, and then as Christians, we have to think about enabling people to use their gifts to the best service of, 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 of the world. So um, you're asking the right questions, but I don't think we have all the answers yet. But I think that there are little things that you can do. So it's not it's not a... You know, oh, it's it's too hard to achieve. You know, it, I I think we are making progress, and little things that we're talking about, like today, make a difference. We're supposed to work longer, so you could take some time off, maybe. Uh, you know. <laughs> This is going to be the thing of the future. We're going to have to work longer, you know, uh, years. And so maybe you could take 20 years off to raise your family. I don't know. I, w- I worked 35 years. I'm not a superwoman, but we had two children and six foster children. My husband was professional, and I was also. Uh, we, we, we shared. We had to think out of the box. We weren't like everybody else. We did very well, I feel. But we had struggles, and you might have to hire someone and pay them quite a bit of money to help you sometime and uh, do some real innovative things. It doesn't have to be always the institution that does it. You know, I mean, what are you going to say? It's a difficult life, but everything's not easy. Uh, Just one more thing I wanted to highlight is that um, we talk a lot about women and child rearing, and this choice may be different for different people, but other than the first year or two when a woman is nursing, there's really no reason why the father can't be equally involved in the raising of children. And so, um, I don't know, just wanted to throw that out there. Well, in fact, uh, let me build on that. Um, I had the pleasure this past semester of... uh, Welcoming back to Calvin, a person who had been a student in the very first class that I had taught, which was 30 years ago, and she had gone on to medical school and then had gone to a surgery residency intending to go into reconstructive plastic surgery. And at UCLA, uh, they were just beginning uh, liver transplants, and she got drawn into that. And she's one of our country's leading liver transplant surgeons now. Her husband went to seminary, and they had one of the most remarkable conversations before they got married and while they were in their professional training. And it struck them there was no way that they could be a couple where each of them had a job that was going to take 
80 to 100 hours a week. He could not be a pastor of a church with the demands that that meant. She could not be a transplant surgeon with the demands that that meant. And so as they talked it through, they decided, yes, indeed, they did want to have children. They would have children. But he was more than willing to be a stay-at-home dad. And he's one of the most amazing fellows that I know. Um, and to this day, they have now two children that are doing exceptionally well. They're about to enter their college years. Uh, instead of going into an MDiv degree, he went into a Ph.D. in theology saying, on down the road, I know that I will be able to find teaching positions, whereas her career is the sort of career that in medicine you can't take 20 years out and then come on as a liver transplant surgeon. And it was just absolutely remarkable to see how they, as a family, had negotiated that. And she says, yeah, I have two sons. They want me at athletic events. I tell them, yes, indeed, uh, I will be there if. And I don't have to say anything beyond that. And her sons have accepted it and tell their classmates when their classmates say, oh, my mom and dad are in the stands. Where are your parents? And uh, her sons say, my dad's here, but my mom's in surgery. And the kids know and respect that. And I think that's one sort of example that's out there. The key is to negotiate these things as early as possible, preferably before people get married. Uh, at Calvin, we have some individuals who have truly shared appointments. We have some individuals where a woman is a faculty member, the husband is a stay-at-home dad, or we have uh, one where it is as 50-50 as it can possibly be with the profound tragedy that um, the woman who was a professor of chemistry, one of Carolyn's colleagues, uh, died of sepsis back in January. And uh, absolutely devastating to the family, to the college community. Um, but there are these interesting ways where you can try to negotiate it, but you're taking a path that hasn't been tread before, and those of us in the Christian community and professionals have to be there supporting such individuals so that we can experiment with different ways to possibly make that happen. And I'll just get a story. Um, I have a woman that didn't that went into private practice. She's probably the most gifted surgeon I've ever seen. She was in love with a neurosurgeon. And an intern, an academic internist dropped them both because, quote, he wanted me to darn their, his socks. Finally ended up married a stockbroker and uh, advanced almost to associate professor and then got out and said, I thought I married a house husband, but I didn't. And I said, well, why didn't you? She said, well, I couldn't fall in love with one. And, and of course, now, in my day, there were two women in medical school. Now they're falling in love in medical school, okay? And that's that. So I, I, this negotiation where one's going to do this and one's going to do that, that works in theory, but I don't know if it works in, in practice. And we had, we had and I don't think many women in medical school marry house husbands. And, uh, and if they think they do, they turn out that they don't. And so I, as I watch this and I watch these negotiations uh, daily because half my staff now are married to physicians, um, I still don't see where it's uh, quite uh, um, – it's not really working out like, um, like they think and like uh, where it's supposed to. There certainly is a lot to be said about how powerful those hormones are. 
And uh, you can certainly look at politicians and televangelists, prominent people who have thrown away a career of commitment uh, for sexual fling, and it simply tells you how powerful those hormones are. Uh, let's get another question. Well, I'm sorry. It's a statement more than a question. Um, I'm, I'm chairman of the Department of Neurobiology at Stanford School of Medicine. It's a basic science department. Faculty, male and female, are expected to achieve high at the very highest levels possible in American science. We just tenured a woman, um, graduated from assistant to associate professor. She has two kids, both of them born while she was an assistant professor. And Jennifer would not say she's superwoman. She would say that it gets hard a lot of the time, and Jennifer used to be the departmental expert on the restaurant scene in San Francisco, and she's totally out of it now. Okay, there are things in her life she's had to give up. But you young women, you can do science at the very highest level, and you can have children, and you can be good mothers. It, you have to give up some things, you have to manage some things tightly, but you can do it. And I don't want any young woman or young man in this room to think that you can't. I mean, you, you manage things, you deal with problems, but you can do it. And we need you in science. We need you in the academy. We need your talent. We need your passion. We need your compassion. Um, so I don't want anyone going out of this room thinking you can't do it. Um, so another thing, there are some misconceptions on the floor here. There seems to be a misconception that it's expensive for the university, that it costs money to extend a tenure clock. That's not right. When you extend a tenure clock, you keep faculty at lower salary levels for longer. The upper out tenure rule was not made to protect the university from high cost. It was made to protect assistant professors from being exploited at low cost. So at Stanford, if you have a child, your tenure clock is automatically extended for a year. For Jennifer, the young woman who just got tenure in my department, she had two children. She could have been extended for two years. We extended her one year because she had some papers coming out that would buttress the tenure case. But she and I made the judgment together after that one year that this was the time to go. And we knew that if we extended it another year, she would take a salary hit that then compounds through every year of her career and can mount to several hundred thousand dollars by the end of her career. The university saved that money by keeping you there. So that, that is not right. That does not cost money, and that should be a no-brainer. Now, providing child care does cost money, but Stanford has just started a salary bonus rule for faculty, male and female, with children of a certain age, and Stanford's making the decision to allocate money there instead of to new buildings, instead of to whatever it could make out. I mean, these are just value decisions that get made by communities. And I think we as Christians need to be in there fighting on the side of women, on the side of families, and we need to be involved in our universities advocating these kinds of policies. So I, I, I think we need to get in there and see, you know, where the humanly sensitive and progressive stuff is going on and get on the side of that and fight as Christians. And I'd really like to see the day when uh, um, we're having this conversation. And, I mean, I really appreciate, you know, the encouragement, you know, that you women can go out there and you can be good scientists and you can have your careers and you can also be good mothers and it can be done. That we would be saying the same thing to young men who are going, how am I going to balance career and family? How am I going to manage that? And we can say to the young men, you too can be a good father and be an involved parent and have a successful career. Um, it can be done. Um, you know, I, I, I really look forward to that day. Um. 
Um, I just wanted to make a statement, like as a young person on the brink, making these decisions, coming up halfway through my undergrad and looking at grad schools and in a serious relationship that look, it's looking like it's headed towards marriage and family. I've always been a kid who wanted the career more than the family, more than everything else. And now that I'm in the relationship, I find myself reevaluating those those ideals that I had for the last 20 years of my existence. And I think that as a Christian, I find myself wondering what my role as a female in God's creation is and what is my role as an academic and what is my role in the career. And I think that people ask me, you know, what are you going to do with your life? I don't know. And I think that if there's a support system that says, here's your options, God bless you as you choose, they think that there's a, there's a freedom in that, that it doesn't have to, you don't have to be a career woman. You don't have to be a mother. You don't have to be both. You can be. And there's blessings on that. But I think there does need to be a support system for people making those choices, men, young men, and young women, both as they go through that together. Here, here. That's why we're having this conversation, so thank you for saying that. Um, these are very hard. I mean, I, I, sitting here, I, I can't help but I'm thinking of a lot of faces in my head right now of people who are not sitting in this room because they dropped out um, years ago. These are people I, I went to school with. Um, I was a co-valedictorian in my high school class. And the, the, the other person I'm speaking of, another young woman, we, we did all our courses together. We studied together. We did everything together. She wanted to be a doctor. She went off to college. She's a straight-A student, very brilliant. And one day during her college years, toward the end, in the middle of the night, she was studying in the library, and she just broke down in tears and called her mother and said, I realize I can't be a doctor because there's no way I can be a good mom and be a doctor. And so she dropped it right then and there uh, with a broken heart because she had had that calling. Now, there's nothing wrong with what she's doing, but what bothers me is, is why she made that decision. You know, we should be able to follow, all of us should be able to follow the calling that we think we have for our gifts and talents. In fact, it's a responsibility to use them and I see women making choices to drop their callings because of this perception that they can't do it. And that's um, another woman went through the Ph.D. program. There were three of us studying radio, three Christian women studying radio astronomy. Who would have thought at the same time in Cambridge between MIT and Harvard? And... Um, Two of them you know, Deb Harsman and myself. The other one you don't know, Lori Harold Jacobson, who's, who uh, had to decide at that point. She felt like, I don't see how I can be a research scientist and be a good mother and raise my children. So she just had to walk away from it. So, I mean, it, it hurts me that people have to... I see women making those heart-wrenching decisions that... I don't see men in those same levels making those feeling like they have that same kind of heart-wrenching decision. Do I be a parent or do I achieve well in my career? I don't see how I can do it. Therefore, I have to drop one or the other. And I think the point of, of our discussion here is to see if there's ways we can work toward an environment where people are supported by their spouses, their churches, and their institutions so that they can you know, with challenges, but they can be both excellent in their profession and their family life as well.
I'm thinking that there is something special uh, in the drive of a woman to be a mother, and a good mother. But I'm also thinking that the business of getting a Ph.D. or other doctorate uh, is incredibly time-consuming and difficult. Uh, Don this morning mentioned that in the process of getting his degree, he got an ulcer. Uh, There are a large proportion of Ph.D. candidates who managed to get an ulcer in the process. And if I recall correctly, uh, six out of seven who start off on a Ph.D. Uh, course drop out. I don't know if that's still the, the number because I'm going back 20 years. Uh, but it is incredibly demanding and it just puts an extra load uh, from a woman's standpoint, but it can be a tremendous load from a man's standpoint as well. But it can work. (laughs) Thank you. I was just going to say that I'm privileged to live in Canada, and I know that... um, when you have a, a baby, you get a whole year of maternity leave. Uh, if you adopt a child, um, you also get a year. And the father can also, the father can take six months or, or uh, split it with the wife. And um, we're working very hard on subsidized daycare. And so I think those kind of things really uh, support the women in uh, having a career and uh, raising a family. Um, I think what Jennifer Wiseman said earlier seems to be correct to me. I don't recall any men I know working through a heart-wrenching decision as to whether or not they could have an academic career and have a family. I also have never seen it in the generation one down from me of people that I supervise, yet I do hear of women doing this. And... Based on other reading, there's a perception, and I'd like to see what the audience thinks, that the reason for these discrepancies is there are different expectations about what's involved in being a parent in taking care of a house. Crudely put, men expect much less than women. So my question is, do men expect too little or do women expect too much? Or is it some of both? We'll take it from here and try not to choke poor Heather in the process. Um, oh, I don't know where I'll twist it. I guess I would say that I think it's a lack of communication. I have a colleague who commented recently that um, she loved having her kids and she had time for her kids, but she just didn't have the energy <laughs> that she wished she had for both her career and her kids. Um, and her comment was, I wish I'd had better conversations with my husband before we had kids as to what my expectations were, because I thought we were on the same page, and it turns out we just weren't. And I think that that's something we can all take to heart. I think that there's a lot of expectation that goes back and forth, where you say, oh, we'll share, and that means one thing to me and something else to, to my spouse. And I think, again, in talk about, talking about raising awareness and really talking through these things, I think expectation is everything, and 
if you can really, you know, get that type of thing out in the open, not just, oh, yeah, we'll share, but what does it mean to me to say we'll share? What does it mean to you to say that we'll share? What are you willing to give up? What am I going to give up? I think that kind of conversation goes actually quite a long way to easing a lot of these issues sort of down the pike. I'll also never forget the day when our daughter was born, and uh, she was born at home, and um, the midwives had finally left, and uh, there was this little bundle lying on this bed, and my husband and I were standing on either side of the bed looking down at her, and he, after a long moment, he looked up at me, and he said, thank goodness you know what you're doing, because I haven't a clue, and I looked at him and said, what do you mean? <laughs> I haven't a clue either. And then he just looked completely horrified and said, oh, my goodness, we're going to kill her. <laughs> well, she's about to turn 17. You kind of figure it out as you go. But, you know, he was raised with the expectation that he didn't have to know how to do this. I was raised with the expectation that I would. And so right from birth, I was told, you'll know how to do this. So I kind of had this what um, we sometimes call stupid confidence, that it was just going to figure it out. And he didn't, because he was told, you're mad, you're going to be incompetent at this anyway. Well, he's been a stay-at-home dad for 12 years. He's doing just fine. Thomas? Go ahead. So uh, I have a, just a quick personal anecdote. I, I'm a uh, soon-to-be-completed MD-PhD um, student who is married to an MD-PhD student. And unlike... Um, some of the experiences in the audience. Um, I do have personal experience with heart-wrenching decisions as a male um, in, in supporting my wife and choosing a career where we can both find meaning. And I don't know if it's that I'm on the West Coast because there is a sort of reputation in different parts of the country, but I have a lot of colleagues both in medicine and in science that have shared with me, Christian and non-Christian, the same sort of dilemmas. And I th so I would actually um, disagree with some of the perspectives that folks, male um, professionals and scientists in my generation, are um, re-examining their careers in a way that can support a family. And um, something Dr. Lang brought up earlier is that in medicine in particular, Folks are choosing specialties where schedule is different than in an older model or even in the current model of internist or um, surgeon. And um, I see that happening in uh, ac academic scientific research as well, choosing careers moving in the direction of teaching rather than grant writing and, 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 and principal investigator. And so... I think that there's hope that we, there is direction moving from both sides, both in terms of expanding professional opportunities for women and also opening up uh, new paths of, of fulfillment in the family life for, for men. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, I see that it, it is 3 o'clock. I saw one hand before I noticed it was 3 o'clock, so I'm going to give James the last word. Being the male contingent of this morning session, I think that's just right. Um, two things. It, it struck me in the, in the last few minutes that the discussion is focused on a, a bit of a different level than, than we had brought up earlier. Uh, Bud talked about negotiation 
uh, other terms were used as to how we, uh, as male and female, as husband and wife, try to grapple with life issues. Um, I also have struggled with issues of um, role models of parents. I don't think that's been touched on. Um, How are we affected by our parents and the role models that they leave? I was raised in the 70s where you could do anything. It's the establishment that was wrong. Well, it was quickly learned that that was folly because it was a little deeper than that. I'm just wondering how much we should look at as a, as a faith community or as a church community, how can we collectively help people to struggle with these issues? Not being in their own house negotiating or talking this and that, but open that up because we have a lot of rich, sometimes tragic, but sometimes really helpful and fruitful experience that I've just heard here. How can we share that among a growing number of young people who that is going to become a reality very quickly if it hasn't already. Um, As a bioethicist, as you know, those are the kind of things that not only enrich lives, but I think help us to make good decisions. My wife has a Ph.D. in French literature. Um, We had our children after she passed her comps. Seventeen years later, she defended her thesis successfully. I'm now working on a Ph.D. I don't have 17 years to finish my Ph.D. Um, We struggle with this. I particularly struggle with this, I will confess. My model, parent model that I follow is very different than my wife's. Um, And we come back often to those issues. What did she expect of me relative to her father? What did I expect of her relative, et cetera? I think those are also issues that we won't have time for today, but I think will also help to get at the depth of what is needed for people to make decisions, not just the there and the then when the baby shows up and you say, now what do we do? But say, what was it like for you 10 years later? What did you really feel? What, what is it that you struggled with? I mean, I think those can also be very helpful. Well, this has been a fantastic symposium this morning and this afternoon. I'm glad that there's another 42 hours before this annual meeting comes to an official end. I hope that you will avail yourself of the opportunity over meals and uh, during breaks and so on to talk with the various people who have presented or asked questions or made points to continue this discussion. And maybe we can find other ways to continue this discussion as well. But it's something that will really edify the church, the Christian community, each of us, as well as the American Scientific Affiliation. So thank you all for your participation.